Hey, how's it, everybody? Welcome back to Freedom Fanatics. I'm your host, Alex. To join, joining me today are Shonen and Tioko. Tioko, we haven't had around for for last little while, so it's great to have him back on the show, sharing his uh, his wisdom with us, guys. Today, we've got a new political player joining uh, the the South African political Game of Thrones, um, and that is, of course, none other. He's a familiar face to politics in South Africa, and that is none other. And Musi Mamane has launched. Build One South Africa. So let's let's uh, have a little clip from his launch on the weekend, and then we'll, we'll share some of our, our thoughts and go into some chats about it. I come from a generation of South Africans who know what happened to battle against corruption, to battle against racism, to battle against extremism. I have known both defeat and I have known triumph. But I want to tell you, I still remain in the arena. The usual political promises were also made, from housing to education and jobs. Maimane insisted that the way to growth is to invigorate the township economy. The dream that I hold for this country is a dream upon which not only is our education improving, but we have an economy that will put a job in every home. I want to put a job in every home in this country. Okay, so jobs in homes in every country, shame. Like when you first said it, then he repeated himself. I felt, <laughs> I felt kind of bad for the guy. But uh, I think the sentiment is what counts. Tioko, I, I, I'm very curious to hear what Sholin has to say because I know he's met the man in person. But um, Tioko, what do you think? Do you think uh, Musi is going to change the political landscape? Is he going to be a a significant feature of our politics leading up to 2024? Well, I don't think so. I must say that first and foremost, I was quite shocked when Musi Maimani came about with the new political party. I thought he was now playing in a different political space. Uh, he had said that he's playing in a space whereby we he wants to push for individuals to run for part, uh, political party positions rather than political parties in and themselves, you know, let's spread more power to the people directly as opposed to political parties. So really, honestly, I wasn't expecting him to come along with this new political party because he had said that political parties are not the solution to mm. the crisis that South Africa is facing. So it's quite shocking, but we, we look quite forward to seeing what what they come with um, to the table. We, we, we can't, of course, scrap them off. But I honestly don't think there's much change that they are going to make in the political landscape, nor do I think that there's there's much votes that they are going to be able to capture come 2024. They might have one or two seats for themselves moving forward. But yeah, I guess it's it's politics and there's still a whole two years to, to really see the party fold out. Before I come to you, Shana, I'm just gonna I'm just quite curious actually. Tiago, why why, why what, what do you think it is about maybe Musi as a personality, um, we'll chat a bit about policies, but what, what, what do you think he's lacking that won't appeal to, to the voter come 2024? Clarity. Clarity. Uh, he, has never want, he has never really been one to be clear. You know, he is, is, is all over the scene. Policy-wise, even when he was in the DA, you never quite knew where the organization was standing. We never quite knew what they supported, what they did not support. There wasn't really clarity. Now, it becomes an issue to people such as donors who want to support a political party ahead of elections and stuff of that nature. 
if policy wise there is there is there is no clarity around the political figure who's who's contesting but of course this is a political party and yeah we we, we must just wait and see what's going to come out of this in particular because the fact that he previously in his previous role did not necessarily have clear uh, uh, policy positions does not necessarily mean that in his current role perhaps he did not learn from his last role and yeah could mm. build from that but mm. the musimai money that we know from experience was was not quite clear on on policy positions and that was a fundamental issue that yeah mm. made him not not be able to attract many votes i think mm. i think the one thing he's maybe got going for him is that he seems like an honest person you know what i mean i'm um, like he's, he's he's not clear about where he stands with stuff necessarily but i think at least he's 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 an honest guy he's obviously got deep roots in in his religion he's as uh, the report mentioned you know he was he was a pastor at one stage sherlin i don't know whether you're a fan of his per se but i think uh you know you've met the man in person um when he was very much busy with one south africa um yeah what what do you think is he going to is he going to be an option for you at the ballot box um he, he might just be an option for me if there's clarity on something like policy then i mm. might consider um you know leaning my vote there um but no honestly um i i agree with some of the things they said um i definitely i'm still looking still waiting on some clear policy positions like we stands on race based policies like things like bee um you know we may extract the right chord with several things that he mentioned he mentions crime in his speech he mentions mm. unemployment he mentions healthcare a load shedding crisis but what we're still waiting to hear is how exactly his plan is to execute those things that's definitely what i want to hear and mm. i'm sure that come on he must have i know that he actually has communication guys around him that know that if you want to communicate to people communicate clearly so that they can hold you accountable on this uh, on the specific things that you mentioned mm. that's even something i'm i'm waiting for and yeah i think i don't really think voters must decide whether or not we need another political party i mean south africa um i don't really see why he couldn't have joined um action is because he has a really good relationship with um Arman masaba um mm. whatever the situation was there um and also the fact that um you know previously was like political parties are the doom of south africa and then he turns around and creates one that's not a good look for consistency um but what i would want to see is that he mustn't simply be there to um steal votes from mm. um action is or the da or any of the political formations right now but i actually want to see what his reach are is for those who are not active um voters those are the people that he should be reaching that should be target market i think um engaging those who are unengaged um and if he can do that i think he can make a success of it but if not we really don't need another political party alex mm, absolutely tiako do you think as shonen says do you think he can be someone to galvanize the population do you think because he's got quite a he's got quite a demeanor you know he, he can stand in front of a crowd and give a good speech you know he can speak he speaks the vernacular of in certain parts of the country you know um I think it, I mean my impression at least is you know it's another political player to me the more the merrier get people talking it's another person to watch maybe just his presence can generate more excitement just around maybe act- activating people getting them to the polls what what do you think about Sholin's point there about um you know 
getting people um, in, involved and in in, looking at, at his kind of entrance in that kind of regard? Well, I think I think Sholan is quite correct that he mentions things such as putting one job in every household and stuff of that nature. Mm. But what's really necessary at this point in time is the question of how are you going to do it, you know? If he does not manage to do that, I don't think he can capture uh, the majority of the people with his political organization. But I think if he does speak to the issues, thoroughly provides clear solutions to issues that are there, or at least provide a clear platform where these solutions can come about, then, yeah, we might just hmm. see people railing behind him. But up to so far, if he's really just coming with the normal things that we know in politics, then, yeah, I don't think he's going to get he's gonna get that far. I think he'd have to be quite innovative and think outside the box to a certain extent, sure. Sheldon, you wanted to jump in there? Yeah, no, I just wanted to add that um, obviously he's making the promise of being like, um, nah, he's going to be president or whatever the case may be. Is. Um, it's not really realistic from this standpoint. Um, but I think that his whole um, idea with this is to at least just get, as the could say, like two seats maybe in parliament, three seats um, for him and some of his um, executive. And then what he actually wants is to be part of a coalition government. Um, whether he becomes a minister somewhere or he gets a deputy president role, um, that's the minimum that I think he actually wants um, with this so that he can actually have a position in whatever coalition government take, occurs, like with the DA and Action SA. Um, I'm, exactly, I saw before we started recording, actually, um, that the bold um, One South Africa um, social media page actually made a comment that um, mm. Man is ready to um, work with the, because there's good people in the ANC. That was a bit of a red flag for me. Um, there was good people in the DA, <laughs> good people in Actionist A, and these are people that both One South Africa would want to work with, um, which indicates to me that they have in mind a coalition government occurs. We want to be a part of that in whatever mm. form, shape or form that takes place, um, which is also kind of clear because it also shows us that there's more of like a center right individual. Um, that is not really on the like Malema side of things, the left um, wing of things. Um, at least that's my perspective. Um, so I definitely think that at least he's on the center right somewhere and that his ideas wants to align with those like um, Action SA or the DA and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think he, I think, I th I th yeah, go for it, Teofo. Now, as I was about to say that, I think he's probably more on the center left than the mm -hmm. center right. But yeah, it's a debate for another day. <laughs> yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to jump into that on another occasion. But I think yeah. certainly something to watch. Here we are. Gives us something to talk about at the very least. But guys, let's, mm -hmm. let's move along. I, I wanted to share a story with you guys um, that uh, was came across in News24. Um, and it's, I mean, it's not, look, it's the sad reality of life with load shedding. Um, so unfortunately, uh, yeah. There was a story that um, I believe the lady's name is Lungusa Kamela, and she was is a teacher, an um, English teacher who teaches online, um, and she she effectively lost all her clients um, who are from across the world who learn English, um, and she, because of disruption, she she just couldn't guarantee that she could pitch up for lessons, and as a result, many of her students deserted her and went to others. Um, so Tiago, I, I want to come, this kind of, the story makes me very sad because it's such an 
like the internet is such an access accessibility tool to create your own prospects. So the, her business was being a teacher independently. Um, and now, obviously, her clients, her customers, people in the market are going to other teachers who have who can provide better services. Yet the reason that her business cannot continue because she can't afford uh, an inverter, she can't afford a generator. Um, you know, this big state owned entity, which doesn't work, is literally chowing her livelihood. No, that's very true. And I think it's, it's said that that's where we are as a country at this point in time. One can only hope that, I mean, last week, I remember last week that there were some contracts signed out that allowed for independent power producers to work together with ESCOM, supply ESCOM with coal and stuff of that nature, right? So I'm hoping that out of that partnership, out of that relationship, the load shedding issue will be dealt with as soon as possible. But really, in the long term, one hopes that we'll have a system in the electricity sector, such as the one that we have in the cell phones sector, whereby we have a few people competing to provide services to people so these things don't happen in the future anymore. But obviously, that is something that can happen perhaps in the next 10 or 15 years, not something that can happen immediately. One can only hope that ESCOM will be fixed quickly, that professional engineers will be brought on board to deal with the issues at ESCOM. Firstly, secondly, mismanagement issues will be dealt with, but most importantly, that the political interference issues that are being are constantly being reported by board members of ESCOM as well as the CEO of ESCOM, that they want to implement certain solutions, but politicians are interfering with them from um, implementing those solutions. I hope that comes to an end as soon as possible, because otherwise we, we, we really are doomed as citizens. Businesses are doomed. People such as the lady here are, are really doomed because, yeah, their income then becomes shut out when electricity sector is not functioning properly. Mm, absolutely. I think it's just, it really, it really does just drive home the reality of how difficult uh, it makes life for ordinary people. But Shona, I'm just going to jump through to the next, to the story, because I want to link it to this, and then I'm going to come to you first on it. And this is, and it's, I'm going to play the clip for about two, two minutes, just to give you an idea. And um, this comes from The Money Show, uh, which is hosted by uh, Bruce Whitfield. And yeah, this this caught my attention. He he spoke to a, a government government a business owner who posited that you know the the whole conversation was about you know could you make registering to vote or voting a condition of employment? So let, let's let's have a listen, and then then we'll chat about it. It's day whatever. Two. Uh, I've lost count. How many days of load shedding have we had? The 265 days so far this year, we've had about 110 days of load shedding. Um, and yeah, ESCOM promised us yesterday that they would go for, to stage five till tomorrow morning and they would change it and we'll see. But um, people are frustrated. People are tired. People are enormously bored of being lied to by a government that has let them down for the last 15 years. And there's only one solution to that problem, and that is going to the polls and voting. But voting has become less and less popular because people have been more and more disillusioned about the efficacy of their vote. So there is a question, and the question is, should voting be compulsory in South Africa? It's compulsory in Australia. You can go to jail for not voting. Once you're in that booth, you can do what you like. You can color it in. You can draw red noses on all of the politicians. You can do whatever you like, but you have to vote. 
Could you compel your staff in a South African company to register and to vote? I'm not sure. Uh, not vote. You know, voting is a is a powerful statement. Um, it's a really important thing. And not voting can be as powerful as voting. Paul Rafaeli disagrees. He's the co-founder and director at No Moo Brands. And you had a staff meeting yesterday, and you put this to your staff, and you said, guys, you know, how do you feel about the state of the nation? How do you feel about where you are? How do you feel about working in a factory where electricity goes off every three hours or whatever it is at the moment? Uh, and it was, must have been quite an interesting meeting, Paul. Hi, Bruce. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, firstly. Um, it, it was an interesting meeting, but it wasn't one that just kind of happened on its own. We um, we engage on an ongoing basis with our staff all the time, talking to them about the, the real things that affect them, whether it's the cost of oil, petrol, the fact that their children are at risk coming to and from work, whether or not maybe they'll be on an operating table and a generator will fail. These things needed to be made more real, and I think they have been real for them for some time. Um, we, we put it to them that it was worth understanding that there's a difference between blaming ESCOM and blaming the people that have been in charge of ESCOM. So I'm going to leave it there um, because, yeah, essentially, yeah, it's just such an interesting, I think it's such an interesting topic for, for discussion. But my impression, Sean, at least, is this frustration with load shedding is really like it's come to a head people like Bruce Woodfield said like people are just so frustrated and it's crippling people's um crippling people's lifestyles and livelihoods and this guy's a business owner he runs a factory he runs a business and it's hurting him and it's super interesting that it's coming to a point where people we really having the discussion of load shedding being a political problem what do you think yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is such a, both of these situations, this first, this lady losing the uh, in the source of income because of load shedding, then another instance where factories are being shut down because they cannot operate during load shedding. It shows us like the real consequences of this. Um, I mean, I'm still in a privileged position where, you know, I complain about load shedding because um, I can't be on my iPhone or um, I can't play FIFA or Creative Auto. Like these are the things I complain about. But for other people, for um, ESCOM doing load shedding is the difference between them being being able to put food on the table or not. Um, and that's why it has real, real consequences. Um, Alex, I would also like to just touch on um, mm. on the podcast mentioning um, this um, compelling people to vote. Um, I think, um, like, for example, it is in Australia. I think that's um, it's a very naive um, approach to take. Um, because people vote, not voting is, is also people making a political statement nonetheless. Um, just because you force people to go to the ballot box, um, it doesn't actually show the true health of your democracy, I think. Um, what the privilege we have right now is with people not voting, we can clearly get an, a realistic image that people are unhappy with the current political process um, and that people feel unrepresented, to, unrepresented by the political um, class in South Africa right now. Um, and that's why I think we shouldn't be, um, you know, forcing people to vote or not to vote, um, but we should actually be taking part in, in what we usually term the battle of ideas, where we actually try to convince people and invigorate um, uh, 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 urgency or passion inside of people to actually go and take an, take an action to vote. Um, I think it, in some aspects, I think it can be argued that it is actually a very illiberal approach um, by compelling people to vote. Um, whereas I think with the freedom of people should remain, they can choose who or not when to vote. But then they should also be willing to live with the consequences 
of something like ESCOM um, having load shedding when they choose not to vote. Mm. So our decision to participate or not participate, nonetheless, it has consequences. And we need to start realizing the power of that. Mm. Yeah, uh, the, there was one thing that Seymour uh, said on, on Freedom Fanatics a few weeks ago where he said he always advocates for people to own their vote. But and I, I, I think that's, that's such a great sentiment to have. But Tioko, the one thing that, that stuck out to me about this is there seems to be such a desperation out there um, where people are resorting to all kinds of things because the political solution or the governance isn't working for the people. And now people are saying, I've heard people saying, oh, we, should, you know, we, can, we can go off the RAND. When the RAND falls, we can use, I don't know, like NFTs and Bitcoin and, and like all these kind of things. And now like, you know, people almost want to resort to anything because everyone's just trying to find a way out of this um, as quick as possible because the state really is just letting people down. So I'm going to give you the final word on this uh, before we uh, jump to uh, your reactions with Mbali. What do you think, Seho? Well, I think the political system in South Africa is failing precisely because the people are failing to make it work. Um, if you look at our politics, really, for the longest time since 94, we have had politicians playing around in the political arena, but not so many civilians around to ensure that these people are doing their job how it should be done that our monies have been spent how they should be spent and everything of that nature so i think perhaps yes the, the political system is indeed failing but it's it's mainly failing because there is there's no there's really no civil society you know and there's not an active civil society there's not a strong civil society sector we don't have civic education as as, as, as one of compulsory things in our schools and stuff of that nature and so we find ourselves where we are. Perhaps the solution to fixing everything is starting right there. Us taking mm. responsibility for where we have failed to do our job as ordinary citizens, because we do have the responsibility to ensure that the people we elect into positions do do what we want them to do as people of this country. We have failed at that. And mm. that is probably mm. the best place to start rather than operating outside this system. Um, let's. Mm. Let's make this work, make this government as small as possible, make sure that it creates an environment that's conducive for creating jobs, conducive for investments, and, and, and then mm. it's a government that ensures that people are protected, that people's rights are protected at all times and stuff of that nature. Mm. It, it would really take us as a people taking upon our responsibility, doing our job for this system to work. Otherwise, mm. It's really just a waste of time. Well, we must be, as Sholan said, be willing to live with the consequences of not being active in that manner. Absolutely, guys. I think we could have this conversation for the rest of the afternoon, but unfortunately, time is not on our side. Um, and Mbali is busy knocking at my door because she's got some fiery reactions for us to, to jump into. But remember, guys, you can follow us at Badger of Liberty, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, as well as Instagram and TikTok. Uh, guys, Without further ado, let's jump into your reactions with Mbali. Aibo. I can't. Can you guys hear Mbali? No. I can't hear Mbali. Oh. <laughs> You can yeah. hear I uh, the your voice. No, no, we can't, Mali. 
and might be earphones. Now we definitely can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sabotage that, that we keep that we keep speaking about. Yeah. yeah when it comes to data, having meetings. But um <laughs> let Mbali, if you exit, I'll bring up your your feature for today. Okay. And then we can Wait, we can get Hey, there we go. F Cobb and A and yeah. <laughs> Hi guys, sorry for that little technical glitch. Welcome to your reaction. And on today's episode, we are looking at our esteemed TikTokers video on the government corruption being exposed. Um, let's take this one. So American Minister for World and Sanitation has revealed that up to 18 billion rand has been lost to irregular expenditure in his department. He has identified certain contracts and tenders being given out as the reason for the loss of this money. What are your thoughts around this issue? And let us know in the comment section below. So America's Minister for World and Sanitation has revealed that up to 18 billion rand has been lost to irregular expenditure in Um, Tiago, what do you think of that? Well, I think we have a government that's irresponsible when it comes to finances. We have a government of people who cannot budget and stick to the budget as much as possible. That's really the fundamental crisis that we have as far as finances are concerned and how spending goes about. But even beyond that, you have spendings beyond outside what has been budgeted for. You have spendings that have nothing to do with what has been budgeted for. Uh, that's that's a fundamental crisis that we have in South Africa. We have really people who probably can't budget for their them, themselves and their families and everything, uh, budgeting for us as a nation, budgeting for the water affairs department, and the money ends up not being spent how it should be spent. Yeah. And why, why do you think... Mbali, Mbali, Sholun's proposing that we... Um, we re-record re your reactions. Is it? Or to start, like to start again. Um, we'll cut, yeah. we'll cut the spot. Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. So okay. it's kind of, and then, because obviously we need to actually go through the, the comments, because we can also, the problem is that because you're not wearing headphones, we could hear the, um, we could hear there was an echo, basically. Yeah, um, I can hear myself. That's right. I can hear you. Okay, there we go. Now, yeah, now we got you. Shalom, say your mic is off. Can I hear me? Yes, we can. Is it okay? We is it? Yeah. Is this the bit soft still on my side, Alex? Um, Bali's mic. It's soft, actually. Uh, mm. Is it so soft? Yeah, that's better. Nice cool. Okay, I think I'll just have to shout a bit. Oh, that's that's it, now it's loud. Yeah, I just edited it on my side. Mbali, is, it, is it better? Is it still yeah, too loud? Yeah. Bless you. Okay, no, it's thank you. I'll put Great. it in. All righty, let's do this again. Okay, one, two, one, two.
Hello and welcome to your reactions. Hi, Sholin. Hi, Alex. Hi, Diego. <laughs> Let's get right into it, guys. So today we are looking at a video from one of our own, Mr. Sholin. What are your thoughts around this? And he's talking about um, government corruption being exposed. Um, let's take a listen. South Africa's Minister for okay, Water and Sanitation we'll has revealed that up to 18 billion rand has been lost to irregular expenditure. South Africa's Minister for Water and Sanitation has revealed that up to 18 billion rand has been lost to irregular expenditure in his department. He has identified certain contracts and tenders being given out as the reason for the loss of this money. What are your thoughts around this issue? And let us know in the comment section below. Cool. So this is the comment section below. Okay, guys, I think we have to do this take again. I have no idea what's happening today. There's a lot yeah. going on. I want to suggest as well. Okay, <laughs> let's do that. Uh, Shut up, nigga. Not you, Sheldon. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's not directed to you. <laughs> Guys, why is this happening to me today? Okay, we'll start it from there. Cool. All right. This is the last try, or else we're not having your reactions. Phew. <laughs> Hello and welcome to your reactions. Hi, Alex. Hi, Sholin. Hi, Diego. Hi, Cool. So, guys, let's get right into it. Um, we are today looking at a video from one of our own, Mr. Sholin Boises. Uh, let's give it a listen. For water and sanitation has revealed that up to 18 billion rand has been lost to irregular expenditure in his department. He has identified certain contracts and tenders being given out as the reason for the loss of this money. What are your thoughts around this issue? And let us know in the comment section below. Cool. Let's get into the comment section below. Diego, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts first and foremost would be that this speaks to the fact that we have a government that, or at least in the Department of Water Affairs, we have a department mm -hmm. that is not able to spend money that's within its budget. They are not able to budget and focus on the budget. They spend money that has not been budgeted for. And mm -hmm. that is an issue because as, as a department, if you are going to spend money, then you should be spending within budget, spending what you have. And I mean, when you, make, when you do work on a budget, you work on it and say that you prioritize certain things right that we're going to prioritize this over that because resources are limited and stuff of that nature but if you are going beyond the budget it means you are not even focusing on the priorities so at least when you work mm. on the budget you never got your numbers correct from the very start but i think this just irregular expenditure refers to spending outside the legal budget spending outside uh, 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 not following the right procedures when you spend money right and so mm. i think i think it's an issue because if we are going to spend if you are going to spend the public's money as a department it should be spent within certain procedures that the public has agreed upon that money that's spent 
on behalf of the citizens will be used within these procedures so we can hold the politicians and administrators to account easy, to account quite easily yeah. Mm, mm, definitely. Um, and Sholen, Matthew says he's a whistleblower, not bad, but isn't he a part of it? Okay, we cannot hear you, Sholen. It is a brilliant question, Bali. Um, and mm -hmm. I think it's very accurate um, because that is the difficulty, um, you know, being able to differentiate between um, the officials in the department. Um, I mean, because he's obviously the head at, at one stage, you have to like, obviously, um, um, how, do you, how do you put this? Like, you have to agree and, you know, be like, okay, no, this guy has actually come forward and like identify these problems. But at the same time, you need to also ask the questions about his colleagues who have been there or his predecessors yeah. who were actually there while all of these contracts, whatever the case may be, um, as was established. Um, this same thing re reminds me a lot about one of the biggest problems at ESCOM, actually, where the biggest problem remains um, coal contracts, which are either corrupted in some shape or form, um, in some cases where there's tenders and contracts being out, given out to companies who don't even um, have coal um, mines or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So they are being paid for services or stuff that don't even exist. Um, hmm. And that, I think, is obviously the legal process will have to determine whether or not he is actually um, a part of it and whether or not he's been partaking in the uh, very corruption he's now exposing. So I think yeah. it will be up to those who investigate to decide. Yeah, definitely. Um, Alex, um, hmm. Baby Million says, friends and family benefiting, so nothing will come of this. Do you think anything will happen after this? And maybe the question will be, why did he come out now? What's prompting him to do it now? Oh, I think like Paul's comments below it says, it's like nothing's going to happen. And I think the mm. like, yeah, we can go through, like I, I, I agree with in part with what Sean is saying about like, you know, investigating whether he himself is a part of it. The point is that there's no accountability. It doesn't matter yeah. anymore what happens. Yeah. Like he can come out and say this in, in a proper structure, he would be held accountable as being, at the head of this department where this bleeding of funds is happening. And I would hope that person would also be a little bit embarrassed by what's happening. Like, I mean, if, you know, if we had to sit here at FAN and say, oh, you know, we had 800 rands worth of irregular expenditure, we'd be like, oh, guys, stop. Like, who's doing that? Yeah. Like, yeah. And there would be consequences. So, yeah. Ah, then, like, I think a lot of people in the, in the comments here are saying is that there's no... Like he can come out and say this without any fear. And I think it's just a reminder of what's really like what's at stake when it comes to uh, fixing this kind of stuff. And when people say about corruption, it's like, well, mm. yeah, it's it's to get, you need to get a new batch of yeah. people in there. Um, and, or at least that's my, my sense. Yeah. My question would also be, um, Bali, will, mm -hmm. what about the individual who signed off on this irregular expenditure? Yep. Um, we are, we are, people, they are not mentioned. Nothing. Is there even a paper trail to show when this money was signed off to leave the department? I mean, exactly. there needs to be accountability. Um, where's the trace? Where's the people doing this auditing? Um, who needs to follow up on the consequences of it? And it's just non-existent. It definitely is non-existent. And um, Temba here says, I'm not sure what's going on with Temba, but, you know, my thoughts are that the ANC is fixing things. If they weren't, he would be lying about why he lost the money. 
I don't know, Tiago, maybe uh, your thoughts on what Temba is saying? Well, first and foremost, the regular expenditure does not point to losing money. It does not say that money has been lost. It says that money has been spent that was not budgeted mm -hmm. for. Money has been spent without following the right procedures. So not necessarily that money has been lost. But secondly, I personally would want to sit down with Temba. Let's get indicators. He must point to the indicators that show us that the ANC is trying to fix things. I mean, it's one thing to say that they're trying to fix things. And another thing, when we put indicators here as evidence that show mm. that, I'll, I'll, I'll begin to sit down with him and see what indicators is looking at. But yeah, the indicators I've seen show that the ANC is totally losing it. Um, they are not in control economy-wise. They are not able to grow the economy. They are not able to attract investments into the country. Investors don't even have confidence in them. How can they mm -hmm. begin to things if they can't even attract investments into the country? That is a question that yeah, one finds themselves um, one finds himself asking himself after reading Temba's comment show. Yeah, definitely. Sholen, last thoughts. Sabotage. Uh, we can't hear you, Sholen. Sorry again for that. But yeah, I'm it's been a long day. <laughs> it's been a really long day. And yeah, I definitely agree with what Tiriko says um, generally because I think um, there are definitely people overseas looking and being like, um, mm. why should I put my money or start a company in this country when it will be lost or um, mm. it will be implicated in some sort of corruption somehow? I mean, we wouldn't. Um, would, my simple question would be like, would either of us trust to put any of our savings, even if it's a 200 rand, into a bank um, that just lost 18 billion rand? Um, I'm like, that is not, uh, that's not an encouraging um, scenario or security that you provide people with because um, they are clearly already mismanaging, um, you know, public funds taxes yeah. um and don't also even forget that South Africa's government we also have a whole lot of debt um and mm -hmm. I mean so everything that is there should have been carefully looked at should be strategically used and yet there's mm -hmm. this carelessness and as um being Alex said um this country is being destroyed tender by tender um and yeah. I think yeah. it comes up the situation where Mm, definitely guys i think we've come to the end of our show thank you so much for joining us on this episode uh do follow us on twitter instagram tiktok youtube and yeah facebook as well uh remember your freedom is worth fighting for